Todd, Steve, Ash, what are you guys doing hiding? And why are you holding bananas? Are you guys doing a From Dust Till Dawn parody? Do you guys want to see From Dust Till Dawn instead? What do you think? Whatever. Just don't get any banana on the floor. The YMM, FMA, and YMM podcast present From Dusk Till Dawn. Featuring the worldwide premiere of Hyperphotonic Media's cover. Do you have what it takes to survive another film fear? everyone 2013 Fort McMurray reads yes good evening good evening uh, I'll be your uh, host and moderator tonight I'm Toski from the Wyman podcast um, partner is usually Tito he was supposed to be coming tonight but he's a little under the weather so I told him that I would no problem be writing solo for tonight uh, we were actually involved in the inaugural Fort McMurray reads last year so after successfully losing we got offered to come back and host. So <laughs> we got an absolute great panel. We got uh, some great books. Uh, we got a great show in store. So uh, get ready. And uh, I'll introduce the panelists uh, up first. Uh, we have uh, McDonald Island Chief Operating Officer Tim Reed. And he is representing When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi by David Moranis. There we go. All right, up next we have author Julie Rowe. She's representing Warm Bodies by Art, uh, Isaac Marion. Also a great movie. Up next we got today columnist Verna Murphy. She's representing No Great Mischief by Alistair MacLeod. All right, then we got from Rock 97.9, Nolan Hawkness. He's going to be representing Downtown Owl by Chuck Klosterman. And right beside him from Mix 103.7, it's uh, Steve Reeve representing Late Nights on Air by Elizabeth Hay. And our two mystery. And we have, we have two special guests that's going to show up halfway through maybe, but uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, so uh, each panelist believe that uh, their chosen book has what it takes to become the book of choice for McMurray in 2013, and they're going to try to convince you guys 
of that aspect because you guys are going to be voting for the best book at the end of the night. Um, each of you were given a ballot on your chair when you came in. You're either in your hand or you might be sitting on it. Uh, when the time comes to vote at the end of the night, uh, just make sure you check off uh, which one that you feel best represents, uh, was best defended tonight, and then put the vote in. I guess the counters around here, is it? Perfect. Okay. Well, they'll, they'll be collected at the end of the night, right on. Okay, so just a bit of rules of how the night's going to proceed. Um, first, we're going to hear some opening arguments. Uh, each panelist will have about three minutes to introduce their book. When the three minutes are up, you're going to hear this tone. <laughs> right on. Okay, so they got three minutes. They're going to hear that, and we'll, we'll have to cut them right off. I got the hook, and we'll yank them right off. Uh, following introductions, uh, we're going to have uh, four questions and a discussion round that's going to take place. Um, in between questions one and two, then we're going to have about a 15-minute break, uh, some lovely refreshments at the back of the room for everyone to enjoy. Um, so we'll come back, have questions three and four. They're going to present their final arguments as well, and then uh, we're going to vote. So who gets the best book of uh, Fort McMurray before McMurray reads? All right, who's excited? You guys ready to go? All right. That's what I like to hear. Okay, so introductions. Tim, we're going to start off with you and uh, give us an introduction for uh, when pride still mattered. Absolutely. Thanks so much for everybody coming out this evening, and thanks for the opportunity to speak. When I was asked to participate, the... Uh, the request said you had to read a fictional tale, and one of the things that I responded by saying is, I don't read a lot of fictional books. It's not really my thing. And The reason that I don't read a lot of fictional books is because quite often I think the reality of, of a true tale is, is sometimes so much more intriguing than a fictional story. This, book, this is a book that somebody gave me on my very first day, on my very first job, and they handed it to me and said, you should read this. There's something in there that will, will strike a chord. And he was an old football coach of mine, so obviously the relationship existed to begin with. And he said, I'm not handing this to you because it's a football story. I'm handing it to you because it's a person's story. And this is exactly why I chose this book. What I like about this is it has a thread of football, which is important to me personally, but the actual story has nothing to do with the sport of football. It has to do with the sport of life and of growing really from nothing. It's the, the son of an immigrant family, a butcher in New York City, who soon got to a position where he could pick up the phone and call the President of the United States, and he would take the call and ask for a favor on the spot. What I really like about this book is it challenges two concepts. One of them is the concept of pride, and has the concept of pride changed since the day of Vince Lombardi to the days of today? And the second one, is the concept of have how we evaluated success and failure changed in the last few years. What I really liked about this book was the approach that, that uh, the author took because he challenged two worlds of thought. One was that Vince Lombardi was this incredible success and one that he was actually chasing his fears that drove him to success. On one side, he would show the reality of growing up in a small neighborhood in New York City and then the reality that existed as he was an icon with the NFL. So this was a person that talked about managing people, not coaching teams, or becoming an icon. Most importantly, it's, it's the classic American dream, and I think it's something worth reading for everybody here. Thank you. Right on. Thank you very much. Good. Give up. Okay, up next with some opening arguments is uh, Julie Rowe with Warm Bodies. So when I was asked to defend a book, 
that I felt represented Fort McMurray. Uh, it didn't take me long to choose warm bodies. Uh, and it's not because of the movie, because the movie and the book are not the same. It's because of what it deals with, what it talks about, and it's really all about how we live our lives. It's a story about zombies and the end of the world, sure, but in the end, it's a book about hope and how if you really work hard and look for it, you can find wonderful things in your life, even if those things seem far away in time or distance, because a lot of people that come here, come here to work, and that's all they're here to do. But there's so much more to life than just working, than just going in and put your 12 hours in and, and fall asleep when you get back. There's love, there's play, there's friendships. There's discovering just how much you can do. There's discovering what your talents are and where your creativity could take you. And these are all things that are explored in Warm Bodies about a zombie and a living girl that he falls in love with. So if you're looking for something hopeful, something fun, and something that says, you know what, Fort McMurray is more than just a job. It's more than just a place to work. There are fun things to do here. There is cool stuff in Fort McMurray than Warm Bodies is the book for you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Just got to jot that down. Fort McMurray is more than zombies. Pod <laughs> podcast title coming up. Great. Okay, up next uh, for some opening uh, arguments, some opening introductions, Verna Murphy with um, no, sorry. No Great Mischief. Just went blank. And uh, I picked No Great Mischief by Alistair McLeod, really without any hesitation. He published the book in 1999, and it won the Dublin Impact Literary Award. It won pretty much every Canadian literary award that's out there. And he's an author that can put words together in perfect sentences. When you read the book out loud orally, it's really a delight to the to the senses as well as the actual story. And as a writer myself, I love that aspect of his writing. It took him 10 years to write this book, and he literally chose every single word individually that was going to be in this book. He then goes on to tell you a story that's layered, and you think it's just a simple story about um, a family, but it spans generations. and even though the generations change and the times change, all the aspects of the story carry on from 1779 until the actual telling of the story. So Alistair MacLeod has a fantastic talent. And when I first read the book, I took some different things away from the book. And at the time, we were starting family. And I wanted to give my family a sense of where they came from. And this year, when I was reviewing the book for this event, I found that I took totally different things away from the book because we were going through more tragedies in our family and I could see myself in the book and the characters. And as again, as an author, you want to be able to do that because when you're when your readers relate, um, you really feel that 
sense of accomplishment when you spend 10 years on a book. You want to be able to uh, say that you did a good job. So that's why I picked uh, No Great Mischief. I think it's something that not just everybody in Fort McMurray, but that everybody in Canada should Excellent. Thank you. All right, Mr. Nolan Hawkness, opening arguments for Downtown Owl, Chuck Closerman. When I got asked to do this, I hadn't probably read a book in years, let's say, maybe at least a few years probably, and uh, the last book I actually read was a Chuck Closerman collection of essays called Four, and I, re I read his his articles and his columns a lot, and then I, I, I did know that he had a couple of works in nonfiction, so I chose downtown owl and owl is about a town in north dakota of about 800 people and as the author says it's 1983 disco is over and punk never happened in owl uh it's an average small town people uh who are where people who they are in in high school that's who they are for their whole lives that stigma just goes with them and that's a lot like a lot of small towns that we all kind of know and and whatever their nickname was in in high school that sticks with them their whole life as well and the book is is interesting in the way that he writes it in in chapters, but each chapter is about a, one of the three main characters, and their lives are completely parallel, even though they're in a town of 800 people. Everybody knows who everybody is, but nobody really interacts. At least these three main characters rarely do. Mitch Herlica is one of the main characters. He's the third string quarterback for the Owl Owls or the Owl Lobos. Um, He's a high school student, and his nickname is Vanna because he needs more vowels in his last name, according to his uh, football coach. Julia is a teacher who moved to Owl from Milwaukee for her first job, uh, and by default she becomes the most eligible woman in town and never has to pay for a drink anytime she goes out, which is pretty often. And then Horace is a 72-year-old widower who meets with a number of the other Owl elder statesmen every afternoon to discuss high school football and the weather. and. The book is about the seven months leading up to the worst blizzard in owl history and what these three characters kind of discover about themselves. And it's about the three stages of, of life, kind of. Uh, Mitch is at the beginning of his life. Julia's trying to discover who she is in her early 20s. And, and uh, Horace is nearing the end of his life. And it's full of a lot of humor and pop culture references. And that's kind of what drew me to it. It's definitely... A lot of laughs, but a serious look at life as well. Right on, thank you. So, what was it? It was the Owl Owls. Uh, they were named the Lobos, but uh, oh, and they were at one point the Owl Owls, and then they decided to change the the name. And <laughs> they were the the Owl Screaming Satan's at one point as well. Oh, wow, which the Catholic <laughs> Church actually defended. <laughs> this reminds me of the the Dog River River Dogs. Yeah, for all the Corner yeah. Gas fans out there. All right, uh, Steve Reeve, uh, representing Late Nights On Air by Elizabeth Hay. Some opening thoughts, sir. <clears throat> okay, uh, let me start off by asking, what are you doing here? Um, I want you to think about it for a minute and, uh, you know, tell me, or at least, uh, you know, tell me later when we got a break. What are you doing here? Because I'm from Canada's frozen but sometimes fiery north. I'm actually from Fort McMurray, born and raised. And when I say that to people, I can tell you the exact phrase that popped into their mind and will probably pop into some of your minds and that's dying breed 
And uh, before I mention that, you know, Fort McMurray's birth rates are actually increasing month by month consistently, uh, it's actually true. Uh, I am a dying breed just because I'm, I'm from here originally, from a time sort of gone by. I remember when Fort McMurray was a little bit different and uh, a little bit smaller. But um, it's a place that has, as far as I can remember back and way further than that, has always brought people to it. It's a place that brings people from all across this country, all across this planet. And uh, it makes me wonder, you know, what are the different reasons that people are here for? What are you doing here? Are you here to uh, work? Are you here to learn? Are you here for family? Are you here to escape family? Are you uh, here to treat the town like your own personal cash cow, you know, overworked and uh, underappreciated? Here to get your life on track, maybe? Or are you here for a second chance? Elizabeth Hayes' novel, Late Nights on Air, uh, which actually won the Giller Prize, which very coveted award in Canada, is uh, about lost souls searching for a little uh, happiness, a lot of redemption, maybe some acceptance, and that feeling of going home again. It's set in Yellowknife, actually, in 1975, and uh, the book is, in a way, it's a quest for warmth uh, and acceptance, and uh, it's got a rhythm that kind of keeps you going, ebbs and flows with uh, heights of, of belonging, true unexpected connection, as well as those depths of uh, isolation and despair. And it's got these eerily familiar landscapes, not just uh, about the, the place that uh, it is, but also about the people that are in it. Endearing people, uh, unlikely groups of people that are getting together, uh, who are brought together in different ways. It's actually about a group of people working at a radio station in Yellowknife in 1975. They all find themselves there somehow from different paths, just getting by in the town as well. There's word of a new television station being built, being set up. They're worried about that. There's uh, eerily, uncannily similar uh, talks about a gas pipeline that's going to be built. Okay, it might not be oil, but still gas, pretty similar. And uh, it's about the, the difference, the lines in the sand drawn between people uh, who support that growth and change, sometimes often the uh, loudest voices out there, <coughs> Totsky. Uh, and it's also about the people that are the guardians of the way things were. So uh, it, it sounds very familiar, I think, to the place that we live in today. Also has a lot of Canadian history in there, especially about Arctic explorers. And I think uh, one of the main themes in the in the book is just that a ship in harbor it might be safe, but that's not what ships were built for. So go explore. Let uh, me just throw it in there at the buzzer, sir. All right, so the lines in the sand have been drawn. We got uh, a lot of uh, great, great opening arguments, and uh, this is going to be a good. Has anyone got any ideas of what they're thinking about so far? All right. So we're going to get on to the discussion round. The panelists are going to have three minutes to answer the, these uh, next questions. Like I said, we're going to do uh, two questions. We're going to have a break, and then we'll come back with uh, two more. So the first question, uh, our esteemed panelists, an interesting book must have interesting characters. What makes the characters in your novel so compelling? Are they, re are they relatable or unlike any other people? Why would the residents of Fort McMurray want to read about these characters? All right, first up, Tim. Let's hear it. I think to some extent this book cheats because it's not fictional. It's actually a very true life story and an autobiography. So the concept of how does it relate the characters is the fact that it, it's not a character, it's a real person, and it's his family and those that he, he interacts with on a daily basis, and it's a story of his life. 
The reason that I think that th this book is of value to those in Fort McMurray is because it tells a tale of a very hard-working immigrant family. It starts with simplicity. And the author describes people with such an extent that you have this feeling like you're sitting in the room with them consistently. When he talks about Lombardi's family growing up at a small Italian household in downtown New York, you feel like you're sitting at the dinner table with him. You honestly do. You feel like you're staring at his father's knuckles, which on one hand said work and the other hand said play. You feel like you're studying them, trying to understand exactly how every interaction that Mr. Lombardi had growing up as a young man in inner city New York led to the person that he was going to be. The amazing part about this autobiography is it shows you the fear of somebody that is fearless in public life. And we all walk with fear every single day. Whatever role you play, however you live your life, or whatever job you go to work with each day, we're told that you have to be great at it. And what I like particularly about this book is the fact that it takes probably one of the strongest icons of leadership and peels back the layers to actually show a man who is fighting his fears day and night and trying to hide them from the public. The amazing thing about it is the public never gets to see it. Looking from the outside in, you see somebody, this is this iconic image of, of American leadership, of the American dream and of success. But his entire life is a real person. I think the truth of the matter is, is that people in Wood Buffalo come here to earn an opportunity to be a great leader and a great person. I think this story shows you a lot of ways that some of the best leaders in the world actually live with more fear than any of one of us do on a daily basis. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Often reminds me, uh, in high school, I did a lot of ride-alongs with police. And every person, uh, police member that I did, did a ride along with would say, any cop that tells you they're not scared is bold-faced lying to you. Yeah. Really brings it home. Okay. Um, Julie Rowe. Well, there's uh, two different groups of characters in Warm Bodies. There are zombies who are dead and living people who are almost dead, really. They're stuck behind a wall trying to stay alive. And that's all they have time to do. The zombies, on the other hand, are stuck doing absolutely nothing. Most of them can't remember any of their past life. All they know is hunger. Except for R. R remembers that his name started with R. But that's all. He can't remember the rest. He doesn't know what he did for a living. He doesn't know where he lived. He doesn't know if he had a wife or children. But he's very, very curious. He wonders a lot. He asks a lot of questions. So even though he is a zombie, he's not like the rest of them. He's just too interested in discovering something new, something else. He's hungry. So when R goes out into the world, thinking he's just going out for a snack, he ends up bringing a human girl, a living girl, home with him. R is a lot like a lot of us. People looking for something more for their life. Something besides just the job. 
They want to find a family. They want to find love. They want to find happiness. And that's what R does in this book. And the girl he falls in love with, she's right there. She thinks he's nuts. But she very quickly falls in love with a guy who's pretty much dead. And I really enjoyed their interaction. I really enjoyed them overcoming the obstacles of their reality. And I really enjoyed the fact that even at the end of the book, you're not quite sure if it's all going to work out. That's why there's a next one coming. <laughs> thank you. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Verna Murphy. Um, the characters in No Great Mischief, you think, are simple on the surface. Um, their story and their composition of character, though, is created over generations. You. Oh, sorry. Um, the characters um, in the beginning of the book originally came from Scotland to Nova Scotia. Um, and then through the generations, it seemed like the story was repeated. And I think that's why a lot of people see the relevance in Fort McMurray. Um, our grandfathers had left to go to the mines in northern Ontario in the 60s, and late 50s, and um, now our parents are watching us travel to Fort McMurray to try to make a life the same way that their fathers had tried that before. So the characters um, may seem on the surface to have their own story, but their backstory also created their character, just the same as our history creates our family and our history creates our own characters in our own lives. Um, their interaction is the thing that really makes these um, characters compelling because no matter where we go, our family and the way that we were raised stays with us. Um, so when you travel out into the world, you think, well, you did something different or you did, you know, you made a different life. And then you realize very quickly when you meet up with family or you go back home that you really haven't changed. You still all have the same quirks or um, likes and dislikes. And um, Alistair MacLeod in this book, through his characters, really reminds us that no matter how we think that um, we've developed our own selves, we often forget that it's our history and our family and our background that created us and whether it's genetics or environment, we all um, bring that into our own lives even though we might not realize it. Excellent, thank you. <laughs> Reminded of the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Alright, Nolan Hawkness. I, what makes Downtown Owl so compelling to me is the fact that the characters are so relatable and it's the interaction between them is is realistic. You feel a lot of the times like you are a resident of uh, of Owl. You can see yourself there in, in, in the town. Um, for the residents of Fort McMurray, I think Julia, uh, the character Julia, the, the, the school teacher going to her first job is probably the most relatable because uh, she's just moving to Owl to start that first chapter of her life. And to she feels a bit lost upon upon arriving there. She though 
gradually finds friends uh, that she relies upon very heavily, and even a, a love interest that takes some of the sting away from being uh, away from her friends and family back home in Milwaukee. And the uh, the women of Fort McMurray may identify with Julie as well because of the amount of male interest in her in Owl. Every single man in Owl is trying to uh, go on a date with her. And she's initially warned about dating anyone from Owl by her friend Naomi because if you go on one date, you're... You're dating. If you go on two dates, you're in an exclusive relationship. And if you go on three dates, you're probably going to get married. So uh, even though in Owl there's not that many places to go on a date because the movie theater just closed down, so you have to go to Jamestown if you want to see E.T. Um, there are the, perhaps the most uh, – the characters that I identify with the most are actually a lot of the secondary characters, though. They seem like friends of mine or people that I, I grew up with. Um, but like I said, I, you are during the course of reading this, you're you're a resident of this of this town for sure. Excellent, thank you, <laughs> Mr. Steve Reeve. I feel like uh, the characters in Late Nights on Air are so familiar, even before you even get to know them. Um, it's not even just the main characters either. It's the ones that are uh, in passing observation. Sometimes you meet them at the bars. Sometimes you meet them on street corners. And uh, through one-line messages at the radio station broadcasts, it's kind of an interesting part of the book. I work in radio and we don't do this, but people would send them messages across town to each other like, oh, the so-and-so got married, or can you pick up the eggs, you know? And that was actually broadcast on the air. Uh, and <laughs> maybe it's because of these real-life uh, Fort McMurray experiences that I've had that some of these gaps uh, are filled in just by my brain, not that they need to be filled in because the story is very round. And uh, just being from Fort McMurray, I think, rounds out the characters as well, even more so. Uh, and Elizabeth Hay is outstanding at connecting these people to each other. And uh, these people are trying to learn their trade, trying to perfect their trade. And uh, they're also trying to learn about themselves. Without uh, each person losing that sense of identity in the writing, the reader really gets to uh, get to know everyone. Harry is comfortable, but so long as he doesn't have to think about his past failures, or at least as long as he can convince himself that he's failing upwards. Dido is uh, European and magnetic but not always in a healthy way. She can attract, uh, often attract that attention and keep that attention that she knows might not be the best idea. And as well, young Gwen is truly trying to escape something from her past. You find out very early on that she's traveled 3,000 plus miles in a, in a caravan and uh, is barely scraping by, but manages to get herself a job at this radio station this summer. And uh, she's able to leave all that ugliness behind once that she's able to actually find herself as a stranger in a strange land. Reading this book at times, I feel, is uh, a lot like a very telling look in the mirror for anybody, uh, whether you're from Fort McMurray or new to Fort McMurray. Excellent. Thank you. All right. How are we feeling, guys? Feeling good? How's everyone? Got the, anyone sways an argument just yet after the opening remarks? All right, let's move on to question number two. So without giving away any spoilers, how would you describe the plot of your novel or book? Is it fast or slow-paced? Is it action-oriented or contemplative? How is it relevant to Fort McMurray? Tim, we'll start with you again. I think the way that I would start to describe the plot is the value of this book to somebody that lives in Fort McMurray is it's a great pick-me-upper. You can grab the book when you have 10 minutes sitting on the couch between running around 
and you can read a few pages, and you don't lose anything. The great value in the way that the book is assembled is that they're stories, and they're very vivid stories that are described by the author in such a mechanism that, that you can picture it. And you won't want to set the book down until you've completed that dinner with the family or that conversation between a player and a coach or that moment after you've won the Super Bowl. But it's a few pages, and then you're on to the next story. The part that I like about this from a Fort McMurray aspect is it really is a lengthy book with many, many short stories within it. How else can it relate to YMM? I think the value in this, in this book is there's a great quotation by the coach Lombardi after he wins one of the Super Bowls. And he said, there's a lot of coaches that know a lot more about X's and O's than I do. But I know a lot more about football players than that. And I think what that to me speaks to is the fact that we've got a wonderful community that's very dependent on people. You can know a lot about industry or northern Alberta or northern Canada, but you'll never be successful unless you know a lot about those types of people. And that was one of the comments that certainly resonated with me. From a plot perspective, the author spends the entire book challenging this concept of dualism. Was Lim did Vince Lombardi love his players or did he hate them? Was it confidence or was it fear? Can you have freedom through discipline? Was he a simple man or a great leader? This concept of dualism is present through the entire book. His father had an eagle tattooed on his chest. It was half finished. And he keeps coming back to this concept. And was it half finished because he didn't want to finish it as an Italian immigrant? Or is it half finished because his mother said, you're not allowed to get another tattoo, and it only got half completed? Thank you very much. Oh, right on. Thank you. Can't imagine my mom saying, don't get another tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Julie, you're up. All right. So whenever you hear somebody say, yeah, I read this great book, it's a zombie story, everybody goes, uh-huh. They kind of figure they know what the story's about. Dead people doing nasty things to living people. Well, Warm Bodies is not your typical zombie apocalypse, uh, end of the world story. It's actually a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. And that's what makes it so darn fun, because it's unexpected. Fort McMurray is a lot like that. You say to people, oh, I'm from Fort McMurray, and they think they know all about it. They think they know all about our city because they've read an article in a magazine or maybe one in a newspaper, and they have an idea in their head about what we're like. And usually that idea is about 150% wrong. And that's why I like this book, because it surprises you every time you turn the page. And so does our city. Until you come here and live here and discover what's really here, all your ideas about the city are probably not correct. I can tell people that we are multicultural, that we have more languages spoke here than in most big companies in the big city. We've got people here, highly educated, highly motivated. We are a really engaging place. We've got great people here. And this book is about discovering who you are again. All these zombies don't know who they are. 
And at the end of the book, those zombies are figuring out who they were. And it's really fun to read. Excellent. Thank you. Assumptions, preconceived notions. It's definitely one of the battles that uh, we constantly fight here in YMM. All right. Verna. Well, the plot in, in my book, it actually only happens like over one day, but then the last chapter skips forward and um, it's just really quick and condensed. But the actual bulk of the book um, takes place over just one day. Um, it's brothers that were raised in the same community and had two completely different outcomes in their lives. Um, one ends up um, being fairly well-to-do, while the other one is um, an alcoholic living in a tenement in Toronto. And it's their visit in that one day that is revealed throughout the book, but it's revealed through stories about their grandfathers and their mothers and their fathers and the tragedies that all of their family had experienced over the years. The plot is intertwined with stories about culture and family and the love of music and the love of stories, which are very indicative of Cape Breton and Nova Scotia. But it's relevant to Fort McMurray because a lot of us here come from away and living in Fort McMurray, our cultures and our love of music and our stories are all intertwined in Fort McMurray and it's almost like we create our own family history here. So the book definitely has a relevance to the community in that anybody can relate to the universal um, stories and um, lessons that are in the book. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Hawkins. Uh Downtown Owl might be different than some of the books here because it's it's there's I'm not going to say that there isn't a plot, <laughs> but it almost is a uh, biographical uh, of three different characters' lives. It's uh, it's very contemplative, but uh, there's not it's not action heavy. That's for sure. Um, it's written as I, I mentioned before uh, with uh, chapters, and each chapter is a different character. And you know, Julia's plot is is essentially trying to find her way in her first job and her first time away from home and feeling homesick and trying to gain the attention of Vance Druid, who's a former football star, but that label's overstated like uh, everything else in Owl. Um, but he's different than most of the other guys there, so she's trying to desperately get his attention. Um, Mitch is a high schooler who's wise beyond his years, and he thinks that music and most of his friends are stupid and he fantasizes about trying to get away with the murder of his high school football coach. And Horace's plot, the older gentleman, is biographical. He tells stories about his life and a lot of those stories are are painful stories, but he still has a very positive outlook on things. Um, it's relevant to our community because it asks the questions that a lot of us probably need to ask when introducing others into our lives and whether or not first impressions are always right and challenges us not to to label people and not to identify people by the mistakes that they make. Um, there's various deviations from the classic novel in this, including a lot of lists and interactions between the characters, but 
uh, interactions between what the character is actually saying and what they're actually thinking. And so uh, I think it challenges us to that things aren't always as they appear, much like you said with warm bodies. It First impressions aren't necessarily what you should saddle someone with for the rest of their lives. And it keeps the reader engrossed through the course of this, giving us insight into these people that definitely are more than they appear. Right on. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Steve Reeve. The, uh, the plot of Late Nights on Air uh, begins with a focus more on setting and on character. Uh, it's, it is a little bit slow to progress, but it's very quick to grip you. And uh, one by one, these eerily familiar faces and uh, voices, as of course the book focuses on the uh, daily and nightly goings-on uh, of the staff of this radio station, both at work and at home. And uh, it's a beautiful, and uh, they are all beautiful. They're all starkly different from each other. And uh, it's uh, different voices that you hear in your mind that uh, drive the turning of every page in this book, for sure. And as well, the different things that they sort of re recollect and discover about themselves. Lines between people are drawn, as well as blurred and broken, sometimes violently. Uh, on occasion, the foreshadowing can be a little bit overt, but I think it kind of serves to uh, tie the book together with a weave of uh, loneliness, a tone of uh, melancholy, and uh, it's 100% present in the, the town that we live in today. I absolutely believe that. Uh, even though this is Yellowknife in 1975, there are pages that read just like for McMurray in 2013. Uh, there's punctuations of pipeline progress. There's multiplying uh, media uh, that dot the sentences of the personal and interpersonal uh, achievements, as well as defeats of all the different characters. Then a shift occurs in the book, and uh, the rich history of the region that they've been uh, peppering in with uh, little tokens of history, actual history of the region that we live in in Canada's north, uh, it's uh, as told by the characters. It becomes sort of uh, this this journey. They they follow the path of a uh, great British explorer, John Hornby, on a canoe trip in the summer, and uh, it really uh, changes the perspectives on how they feel about love and uh, who they feel that love towards. And uh, several references to real life explorers of the North um, kind of illustrate that uh, undiscovered territory can be treacherous, but uh, there's uh, there's value in that hardship, and uh, there's a moment where they talk about the explorers of old and the fur traders of old, That uh, several moments actually, but that they focus on the fact that people were better with discomfort back in the day, and Gwen, one of the characters, then comments that some of those men weren't comfortable unless they were uncomfortable, and I think that's very uh, indic indicative of the people that live right here in Fort McMurray. Excellent. All right. Anyone's opinion sway after that one? Well, hopefully, no one's got their winners picked just yet because we got two more questions. So, someone might be able to drop the ball or pick one up. Either way. <laughs> okay. Um, we're gonna go break for about 15 minutes. Um, I don't got a clock on me, so I don't know when 15 minutes will be back. But six o'clock. All right. Well, six fifteen. Uh, come on back and. Oh, we'll be back at 6 o'clock. Okay. So we'll be back at 6. So everyone enjoy the refreshments in the back, and we'll hit up round two of McMurray Reads. Thank you. Okay. How are we feeling, panelists? Feeling good?
Everyone's Steve refreshed? Said he, Steve said he forgot to go to the bathroom. <laughs> My bad. Don't make me turn this car around. <laughs> you hold it till the next stop. Okay. So everyone's feeling good? Everyone's uh, not so much knockout drag out like it, uh, like it was last year. Anyone that missed it last year was a big fight on stage and everything. It was great. <laughs> really? Yeah. What? I'll wait the two redheads go. <laughs> <laughs> this is all fake. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, we got two more questions, and I can see, I can see the intensity coming in uh, in Verna's eyes. <laughs> okay, so ready for part two? We're gonna go into the third question. I hope everyone had an excellent break. Okay, guys. So two more questions. Remember, three minutes to answer. We'll go on to question number three. A good book can sometimes change the way a reader thinks about certain things. Has this novel broadened your perspective? Uh, have you learned something new or been exposed to different ideas about people or certain parts of the world? We're going to change it up now. We're going Steve. We're going to start oh your my. end first. <laughs> I'm not a prepared. Okay. <laughs> um, I certainly learned a lot about the uh, part of the world that we live in through reading this book. Uh, and I was inspired as well to dig a little bit deeper about the history of Canada's North and uh, when it was being explored. It's actually funny. They mention... Uh, John Hornby in the book, uh, uh, who, uh, and, and as well Franklin F., which we have right here in town, which is uh, in relation to, I think John Franklin is his name, another explorer, and uh, both of which have uh, kind of disappeared, like under mysterious circumstances while uh, out and about in Canada's wilderness. And uh, it's just very fascinating material, very fascinating stuff to read, even if uh, you think history is a little bit dry. Like, read up about these guys. It's actually funny. Uh, I think it's John Hornby. In his hometown in Britain, there's a statue of him, and it wrongfully says on the statue, he discovered the Northwest Passage. <laughs> and no, that's not – I mean – the indigenous uh, cultures right here on the continent, for one thing, indicate that the land has been discovered long before Columbus got here. But uh, it, it also uh, proved to me that the more things change, the more things uh, do stay the same, but that the more things stay the same, the more things change without you. Uh, in our own life, both on and off, uh, in my own life, off the air and on the air, I've learned to appreciate the, the new connections that come your way in this town and the astounding things that you can achieve and can be experienced. Uh, and can be accomplished when unlikely groups of people get together under unlikely circumstances and when people aren't always looking out for uh, what's best for themselves, uh, not only looking out for number one. Within this book, I feel, is uh, a challenge to see everything around you in, in a different way and an appreciative light, and uh, that goes for the people that live in Fort McMurray uh, next door to you that you have no idea about because it's a very transient town. And uh, people are often caught in that trap of uh, not wanting to get to know any, but, uh, anyone else because it's a question of, uh, am I leaving you first or are you leaving me first kind of thing. People feel they're very temporary about this town and it keeps those walls up. And I think this book challenges that perspective. Excellent. Thank you. Sorry to, the, to put you under the gun there, but Tim offered me a free uh, year pass for making him go last. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He offered me yoga for that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Hawkins. Uh, the question uh, asking if it, uh, the novel has broadened my perspective, I'm not sure if it's broadened it. It's maybe sharpened uh, my perspective. Um, I'm a positive person who likes to surround myself with other positive people and find open-minded people to have uh, conversations with and, and 
I'm I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful I found that here in Fort McMurray. But uh, I'm not sure that the residents of Owl, North Dakota, have that in this book, and I think a lot of people are lost because of that. Um, it the book taught me that I'm not sure that I could ever live in a small town like Owl. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure I like how everyone knows everything about you, but you don't really know that person. Um, there's a, there, there is uh, intermittent uh, uh, sprinklings of, of North Dakota history uh, in, in the book as well, the story of, of uh, Gordon Call, who was uh, an anti-government, uh, anti-establishment guy that got in a gunfight with the, the FBI, a story that I, I never knew uh, before. Um, uh, the town of Rugby, North Dakota, which I've visited a, a couple of times, it calls itself the geographical center of North America when it is nowhere near the geographical <laughs> center of North America. Uh, it's, there's some interesting stuff there. Um, and the, the, the high school students of, uh, of OWL in, in the book are all, uh, all reading 1984 because uh, the book is, is set in just going into 1984. And there's interesting parallels there between uh, 1984 and OWL because everyone knows everything about you. And the citizens of Owl almost act like the, the thought police in, in 1984. So it's broadened my, uh, like I said, it's sharpened my, my perspective. My personal motto is kind of stay positive, but uh, I'm not quite sure that the people in Owl have that, that option a lot of the time in this, in this book. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. About a dollar for every person that said, I'm not sure if I can live in a town like Fort McMurray. <laughs> um, okay. Verna. Um, I think the book really broadened my perspective in different ways every time that I've gone back to the book. Like I said, when I first started, or when I first read the book, I was still living in Cape Breton at the time. And I think it was his ability to capture stories and characters about simple events or families that lived in Cape Breton and made them universally appealing was what I was first so taken with because um, that's a very hard thing to do, to um, tell a story that somebody in Hong Kong can relate to just as easily as a small rural community in Cape Breton and people that are living there and how they relate to the story as well. Um, Personal, on a personal level, it broadened my perspective in that um, when I first read the book, I wanted immediately, um, I had never met either one of my grandfathers, and I immediately wanted to find out more about my history so that I could pass it on to my son. And this time around, ironically enough, um, we've adopted a little girl, and she's Aboriginal. And it really left me this time thinking what are we doing so that she feels connected to who she is and what her culture is and who her family is, not just uh, her adoptive family, but her biological family. So it made me think over the course of the last couple of weeks and reading the book again that um, having a sense of belonging is so much more important than we often even realize. Thank you. Okay, Julie. One of the things I really enjoyed about Warm Bodies was the ability the storyteller who is, uh, it, the story is told from our point of view, from the zombie's point of view, the entire story. And throughout the story, he, 
constantly asks questions. And, and simple questions, almost childlike in their simplicity. And, but they're questions which don't have an easy answer. Questions about how are we the way we are? Or why are we doing what we're doing? Because it seems so silly when you look at it from the outside. And that kind of questioning is something that when I was done reading the book the first time, and then again when I read it again just yesterday, uh, you know, I, I have to ask the same questions of myself and my life now and my children's lives and my husband's life. Are we getting the most out of our life? Are we waiting for a rainy day? Why are we waiting for a rainy day? Let's enjoy our life now because you never know what's around the corner. And, and the book really does uh, persuade you to ask those kinds of questions. To say to yourself, is this really okay? Am I just going to settle for what's going on right now? Or is there something I can do to better myself? Is there something I can do to find something better in my life? Maybe I should go back to school. Maybe I should get a new name. People have done it. Uh, so it isn't that my perspective has changed. It's that I'm asking myself more questions. And I'm trying to decide... Is this what I want? What else do I want? What's next on the horizon? Because the future is amazing, and it's full of hope. And again, that's how the book ends for me, is on a very hopeful note. Even though the world is ending, things might actually get better. Thank you. <laughs> Not just people trying to get their names. Sometimes towns think about it, too. Okay, Tim. The title for this book is actually taken from Richard Ford's novel, Independence Day. Now, I haven't read that, but I will. Maybe somebody here has. Well, the main character in that book is a sports writer, Frank Bascombe. And he makes a comment as he's got this old box full of Green Bay Packers memorabilia. And he says, it's just a box from, of old stuff from when pride still mattered. And he, he put it in quotations and identified it and that... Uh, and that's where the, the title of this book came from. I think what this book taught me was about the days when pride still mattered. And have we lost those days? More importantly, what is pride? You know, if, if you took a moment and you actually thought what pride means to you in your personal life, or your professional life, it's actually incredibly hard to define. More importantly, a statement like from when days when pride still mattered to me, forced me to think about things like an honest day's work, dedication in your job, loyalty, hard work. Most importantly, can somebody still come from the family of an immigrant butcher and be in line to be Richard Nixon's vice president? Are those days still possible? Can you still have freedom through discipline? Is more actually less? When Vince Lombardi beat the Dallas Cowboys, the, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys says, I have over 20 plays in my playbook. Vince Lombardi's response was, I have one. We just run it 20 different ways. Can more actually be less? Vince Lombardi's quotation that he's most known for is, winning is, a sometimes, is not a sometimes thing, it's the only thing. He didn't even say it. 
Actually, Coach Red Sanders said it 20 years before he did. But you try to find somewhere where Coach Red Sanders was given the credit for that quotation. So I guess what this book taught me was could the old man still do it today? And that's what it left me thinking about. Thank you. You said Independence Day. Who was the author of it? Richard Ford. Oh, okay. I saw the movie. It was it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Will, Will Smith was brilliant. Yeah, Will Smith, the way the aliens came down. <laughs> Welcome to Earth. <laughs> I was holding on to that for a while. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, question number four. You're Steve. still proud of that one. I am, actually. <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right, Steve, we're going to start with you again. Question number four. Tell us a bit about the setting and the background of your chosen book. Uh, why do you think local readers would enjoy the setting, and what as uh, aspects of the setting uh, really stood out for you? Uh, I found that when I was going through the questions for this and, uh, and rereading the book, I found that this one was actually the easiest to sort of uh, at least start basing my answer for. Late Nights on Air was one of the first books to jump to my mind because it's, it's just exactly what goes on here in Fort McMurray. Maybe not exactly for everyone's lives. People kind of have their own histories, and it's very richly woven together. But by and large, uh, it's very similar to day-to-day uh, -day life right here in Fort McMurray. Uh, the people, uh, the places, and especially the conversations. Though it's Yellowknife in 1975, you could easily mistake it, as I said. Sure, uh, the pipeline story is gas instead of oil, uh, but I don't think that's that big of a leap to make. I think it's more of like a little bit of a hop. And it's so similar that to the point that I feel like, and I'm convinced that Elizabeth Hay actually spent some time here in Fort McMurray when she was putting this novel together. The beauty is that uh, you might not have seen things the same way, though, before. I think there's a challenge within the book uh, to make your own uh, exploration expedition just like those explorers to the Arctic North. Uh, but not so much to explore Canada's uh, North exactly, literally, but uh, as harsh as it is, but as well to explore yourself truly as harsh as you can be. Even if that road is uh, a long and dangerous one, and uh, they do describe that long and dangerous road as they take this canoe trip to follow the path of John Hornby. Uh, as Charles Bukowski wrote, uh, find what you love and let it kill you. And uh, I think that uh, this book is a lot about that. It peppered into this absolutely astoundingly rich and detailed uh, tapestry of the, the location that it's set in. There's place, uh, times when they describe trips to nearby towns or nearby bars and, uh, and getting to know people on street corners and uh, you know, the vehicles that are being driven around and just the type of mentality and uh, those barroom scenes, I think, are absolutely pivotal. And those scenes where they discuss the other people that are living in the town with them that uh, are absolutely pivotal to moving the story forward. And uh, what stands out for me is those descriptions of the land around the town, around Yellowknife, and how much they can apply to right here in Fort McMurray. Thank you. Find what you love and let it kill you. Powerful. Yep. Very, very powerful. Um, Nolan. Uh, this one is maybe a little more personal to me because I I grew up two miles from the Saskatchewan North Dakota border. Uh, the fictional town of Owl reminded me of a lot of towns I used to go to when my parents would take me when I was a kid. Uh, a lot of the towns mentioned in the book: Jamestown, Rugby, Bismarck, Minot. I, I've been there and I know the location very well. Um, for Fort McMurray and, and the, how Fort McMurray would identify with it, uh, 
I think North Dakota is a lot like uh, Northern uh, America's Northern Alberta, especially now in this day and age uh, with the, the Bakken oil play. And they talk about how oil was discovered in, in near Williston and stuff in the book. But the, the climax of, of downtown Owl revolves around a, a big blizzard, a once in a hundred year blizzard. And we do get those here <laughs> on occasion. And so I think people can identify with that. But uh, I think the majority of us here generally are from from somewhere else, and oftentimes those places are small towns like Owl, and we can identify with the with the mental the, the small town mentality. And you know, we're we're here in Fort McMurray, and we're trying to grow, and we're trying to to uh, con- we consider ourselves a world class city, and we are. But I think a lot of times we do have that still small town spirit and small town mentality here. Uh, as well, so thank you very much, sir. We all know the Snowmageddon's that uh, close off the highways. <laughs> all right, Verna. This is my favorite question because I finally get to talk about Cape Breton. <laughs> so the setting was perfect because the setting was mostly in Cape Breton. Um, it ranged out at times to Ontario and to Calgary, so. There are some experiences for um, people that live in the West and stuff, but again, it's the universal themes that carry over. Um, in one part of the book, there's a whale that washes ashore, and uh, a storm carries the body of the whale further inland, but the heart of the whale remains at the shore. And I think that's um, very indicative of Cape Bretoners. You can move as inland but our hearts remain in Cape Breton. And uh, the grandfather in the book actually says it best, and I know there's children in the room, but he would say that uh, once he left the island and was away for any period of time, um, that he'd actually get a hard-on as he stepped back onto the <laughs> island because he was that aroused by actually being in Cape Breton. <laughs> and if you look on Facebook and you have Cape Breton friends, I know every single one of them that have gone home this summer have put up a picture of welcome to Cape Breton when you're crossing that causeway. Um, it was the same as the grandfather. I guess we all get a little excited just when we're at that bridge. Um, there's something different about Cape Breton and the people that live there. And there's the isolation and there's the ruggedness of the land, which is also reflected in Fort McMurray. Um, people know you there and welcome you in and when we first moved to Fort McMurray we were wondering how we would fit in and of course we all know now Fort McMurray is one of the most giving communities in Canada so the heart was still here so we quickly found that we felt just as at home in Fort McMurray as we did in Cape Breton. Um, Throughout the story with the setting um, it's funny because when they first arrived in the the land of the trees in Cape Breton um, the ruggedness surrounded them at that point and they felt isolated and um, so their culture was a very very strong um, influence in their life and it's the same now um, we when I moved from Cape Breton I didn't realize the extreme talent that exists there and it's often because we had such small rural communities there was nothing else to do than to play music or sing the songs or tell the stories so the plot is absolutely perfect and it can carry over to any community. 
Thank you. For those that know me, <laughs> uh, did anyone think it was actually Verna that was going to say something subjective rather than me? I'm full of pride. I love it. Okay, uh, Julie. All right. Uh, someone says to me, what's it like to live in Fort McMurray? And my response is generally, well, gravity still works, but that's about it. <laughs> um, Fort McMurray is isolated. We have our own economy. We have our own microculture. Uh, we're not like every other city in North America. We're very, very different. Uh, and that isolation does things to us. We look at the world differently. Uh, you know, if, you, if someone says, I'm going to Costco, and, you, and basically your answer is, so you're back on, you know, three days from now? Um, <laughs> So this is, this is what was interesting to me about Warm Bodies in that there's two basic settings in the book. One is an abandoned airport where all the zombies have congregated. The other is a walled city where all the living humans are, and both of them are isolated from each other. The only time they meet is usually in violence. Um, both groups wander kind of aimlessly. The zombies don't know where they're going, and the humans have nowhere to go. And I found this to be really interesting. It really kind of made me look at Fort McMurray in a new way, because the isolation described in the book is sometimes how I feel here. And I have to remember, we are connected to other places. Yes, our highway is just one way out, and it's long, and, you know, we get flooded out and fired out and snowed out, but... You know, if you really want to go somewhere, you can get there. You can find a way. And I think that that's the, the underlying theme in Warm Bodies is that you can get there. You just have to find a way. And I really, really enjoyed that part of the book, that way that it made me feel that, you know what, I am connected to someplace else, a lot of places else, but I still like where I live. Thanks. Excellent. Tim? Well, David Moranis has an eye for details. He's an editor of a paper, he's a sports writer, and he's a journalist. And that's probably what I enjoyed the most about the way that he structured this book and the way that he walked the reader through, cha through chapter by chapter, but more importantly, from one scene to another. Whether you were sitting in the butler or in the, uh, in the butcher shop or the gridiron of Lambeau Field, or you were in West Point, where he started his career. He was able to describe it in such a way that although you've never been there, you felt like you could see it. And the reason that he was able to describe it was because he focused on the reality of every situation. He didn't tell the story of what West Point looked like. But rather, he told the story in a way that everybody could relate. Because he talked about a blade of grass or the light on the football field as you walked by it. He talked about a cup of coffee or walking into Lombardi's desk. He talked about the old rotary phone that he, would pick, that he picked up to call the president. It was the things that we could each see and that we could feel that he did such a strong job of capturing. And it was for those reasons that I've never been to Lambeau Field. I've never picked up a phone and talked to the president. But the best part about this book was you felt that you were. And it allowed you to really connect with Vince Lombardi. And it allowed you to circle back to this question of was he a success or was he a failure? 
And when he was chasing his fears, you felt like you could understand it because you understood the simplicity of the room and not necessarily the complexity of that situation. I think through his ability to paint a picture, really, really created the background that all of us as readers look for. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so that, uh, that's our four questions, but we got time for the spare question. Uh, we'll give you guys a, a couple minutes each for this one. Uh, this is my, my personal favorite question for this one. And I'm going to really mix it up here. I'm actually going to call individual people, so there's no order at all, so no one can prepare. Uh, I can see the notes you're doing, Tim. you got to stop that, okay? That's key. Okay, here we go. Uh, spare question we're going to. If you had to endorse uh, another Fort McMurray Reads book other than your own, which one would you choose and why? Uh, Nolan, you're going to start us off. I would probably choose Warm Bodies because uh, I've seen the movie, but the the way that that you're describing it and the the parallels between live live your life to the fullest every day is something that they didn't do well in the movie at all, and that's why you should always read the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the the that's a very interesting take on it because I don't even know if I really picked up on that in the, in the movie. I found the movie was was great, a great popcorn movie. It was entertaining, but it didn't. I didn't pick that up. And because you can go into further detail in a book, you can pick that up. And that's something that you know. I think everybody should kind of have that mantra: is is live your life to the fullest. Don't wait. Life doesn't wait for you. So uh, that would be that'd be my choice. Excellent. Okay, Verna, let's hear your other endorsement for another book. Uh, it's actually a hard question for these books because um, tonight I think Nolan swayed me and I'm, I had already read the book. <laughs> 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 so it, it's definitely, um, at the time that I read it, it was kind of like a, a book that made me laugh and I needed that at the time. Um, but Steve's book is a book that if I went into the bookstore today that I'd probably pick up because I like, um, I love like adventure um, and um, like the Northwest Passage and all those kinds of stories have always interested me. And uh, I had also read that book when it won the Giller Prize. So it was funny that um, we I took different things away from that book. Um, I'd read Warm Bodies just because I like Julie, and I've read her books, <laughs> and uh, I know what a talented author she is, so when she's endorsing a book, um, it's definitely something that I'd pick up, and then with Tim's book, I'm also, I love great autobiography and biographies, I love the realness of people's lives, because I think everybody has a story to tell, so do I have to pick one? <laughs> <laughs> I think the crowd's saying yes. Yeah, um, I'd probably go if I had to tell somebody else to read anything besides Alistair McLeod, it would probably be downtown now. All right, right on. Thank you. All right, Tim, over to you. I think if I was to tell somebody to pick up a book uh, walking into tonight, I would have said pick up Alistair McLeod just because I'm a huge fan. Um, more importantly, I, I share that connection with the East Coast, and, and I always find those are very real experiences to read, and uh, there's something that I can relate to. However, I think listening to, to everybody's conversations tonight, one of the things that, uh, that I've always struggled with is, is 
the fictional characters I, I have a hard time connecting with. And so I, I honestly, as, as much as the zombie fat is everywhere, and I love, I, I would love to get into it because I think it's really cool. I think I struggle with it. Um, but I love the concept of Nolan's book of Downtown Owl, uh, just purely because I love small towns. You know, they, they, they have a life to them that is far beyond these big cities because it's so personal and so complicated and so constant. And so I think uh, in listening to Nolan talk about Downtown Owl, that's probably the book that I would likely pick up. All right on. Down the end, Mr. Steve Reeve. It's a tough, tough question. Um, I gotta say, I'm really, uh, really curious about Downtown Owl. I uh, have not read that book uh, prior to uh, tonight. I'm probably gonna pick it up like right away. It's definitely very, very interesting to me. Uh, and uh, I have seen the movie for Warm Bodies as well. And I love the parallels between the, the zombies and the humans and the isolation that you spoke of. And um, as well, I'm a huge sucker for the whole Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet <laughs> side of it. And uh, I'm uh, I'm not a huge nonfiction reader, but when when a book is uh, really really grounded in uh, in a reality that I can grasp, I definitely that gives you a lot of uh, bang for your buck. And so I'm very interested in Tim's choice as well. But I got to say, uh, oh, and Alistair McLeod as well. I've never read any of his stories, but I'm absolutely fascinated by uh, <laughs> absolutely fascinated. I knew there was going to be a fight here. This uh, this, this tale, the, the way it's set in a day and everything, and, and I, that that kind of story really grasped me as well. But uh, if I had to pick one for for McMurray Reed specifically, I think that the one that uh, most uh, captures the experience of living in Fort McMurray is Warm Body. I nice. thought you were going to end it by saying my book. And really <laughs> <laughs> me, Excellent. Me. Thank you very much. All yours, Julie. All right. So going into this, I I had a thought in my mind, okay, which one would I choose if it wasn't my book? And Nolan, you converted me, man. I really want to read Downtown L. And the reason why is because I absolutely adore when an author can make the setting a character. And that's what I feel like happened in that book, that the setting itself became the central character that all of these other people revolved around. And I think when a place can do that, that can, it's, it's its own character. I have to read that kind of story. It just, I'm going out and can I have that coffee over there <laughs> from the library? Like, yeah, I, I'm going to read that book tomorrow. So, awesome job, man. Thank you. Um, before we get to the closing arguments, uh, I was just going to say that uh, it's well now that it's going to be a fight for Downtown Owl for the <laughs> all these books are available at the McMurray Public Library, so I encourage you all to uh, definitely pick them pick them all up, give them all a read. Uh, one of the best things I like about uh, this event in particular is I'm very open to listening to what other people's thoughts have someone else sell me on the book, and that's what I love about having uh, doing this panel and getting to hear all these great, great stories. All five of these are fantastic books. Uh, round of applause, because it's absolutely great. And uh, I'm definitely going to be going deeper into them. So you guys got now one last chance to sell your pick to the audience who gets to pick the winner of the book that Formic Murray must read for 2013. So we're going to start off with Steve at the end, and you got three minutes. Uh, well, I uh, my main argument really is predicated on the fact that it, because it's Fort McMurray Reads, and it's the book that uh, the winning book that will be 
um, solicited by the Fort McMurray Public Library as the book that everybody living in this town, whether you're from here or from somewhere else, should read in 2013. I, uh, I thought I'd just uh, read a couple of uh, selections from the actual book itself, let it shine for itself, and tell me if these don't sound familiar. For instance, uh, her desk stood next to a plate glass window that overlooked the dusty street leading up to the Gold Range, also known as the Strange Range, and to Franklin Avenue, the main street with two stoplights. Turn left on Franklin Avenue and you passed on one side McLeod's Hardware and the Hudson's Bay Store, and on the other side the Capitol Theater with its third-run movies and fifth-rate popcorn machine. Continue on the same direction through the newest part of Newtown and then angle left and you eventually came around to Cominco, one of the two operating gold mines that gave its town an initial reason for being. As well, I keep talking about these barroom conversations. There's one that uh, really stood out for me right here, um, and it's actually funny because it reminds me of times spent in uh, a place that's closing down now, Long Shots downtown, and just kind of overhearing some of the conversations there. Dido saw the racism more clearly, seeing it with the newcomer's eyes. These were businessmen who believed the North belonged to them. They smelled money, she thought. They couldn't wait for the gas and oil to flow, and so they had no time for the inquiry into the proposed Mackenzie Valley Pipeline. They hated that tax dollars, uh, the tax dollars it was soaking up and the delays it was causing. They resented the platform it was giving to natives, environmentalists, do-gooders of every stripe. They belittled the government-appointed judge who was running it, Berger. She heard the name being bandied about with contempt, but the pipeline was going ahead. She also heard them say nothing would stop it. Government was behind it. Big money was behind it. Real northerners like themselves who put their shoulders to the wheel and prospered, they were behind it. Oh, right on. Thank you. I'm glad that you read that part because like, the whole time I like listened to your arguments about how it parallels our region and you kept saying pipeline. I'm like, if that pipeline's called like the Stone Key Pipeline, I'm going to be very, very upset. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nolan. I think the, the main crux of, of Downtown Allen is about growing up and growing old. And in the three characters, you see the different phases of life, like I talked about before. We've all struggled or had struggles growing up, like in, in high school, like Mitch, and we've all tried to find our way there. We've all had that first job where we're not quite sure we fit in, like Julia, and we're all going to die. <laughs> it's, it's the sad fact of life. We are. We're all going to die, and we're all at some point going to enter that, that end chapter of our life like Horace, and hopefully we can do it with as much grace uh, as he does uh, in the book. Uh, Downtown Owl is number one, probably rich in humor. Chuck Klosterman is a very, very funny man. There's one liner after one liner there. The characters are rich and identifiable. Uh, I am a huge music buff. I'm a huge pop culture buff, and that's what drew me to this book originally, just knowing Chuck Klosterman's previous works. But if you, if you love music, if you love pop culture, if you're the kind of person that takes strong stands on issues and can debate the minutiae of life for hours with your friends, almost coming to blows from time to time, uh, this is the book for you. There's takes on government. There's takes on religion. Chuck Klosterman is one of the most respected columnists and interviewers in America. And there's most of his stuff deals with uh, music and entertainment and, and, and things like that. So there's sprinklings of 80s music, movies, TV references throughout it, uh, throughout this book. Uh, I personally can't see why anyone would not enjoy this book thoroughly. Thank you. Verna. It's kind of funny um, 
how I'm going to try to convince you to pick my book because I'm not a very public person and people that know me might laugh at that because I share everything on my blog and in my column but to actually go and speak in front of people I really have to feel some type of passion so I have spoken about such things as fostering or drinking and driving and things that affect our life but when I thought about getting the the um, chance to actually convince somebody to read this book. That's how passion, passionately I feel about this book. It's been 14 years since it's published. I have never recommended a book um, so much or given it away as a gift as much as I have with Alistair Cloud's No Great Mischief. It's a book that's going to make you laugh and it's going to make you cry and it's going to think make you think about your family and your circumstances. And it's really a book that invokes passion in the reader and that's not just a book but it's really an experience and when an author can take you to a level of actually feeling something um, it's definitely worth a read. Um, the only thing I was really nervous about tonight was my ability to um, defend the book and do it justice. However I'm pretty confident tonight that uh, I can say that No Great Mischief is the best book on the panel. And that everybody <laughs> informing Mary should pick it up to read it. Well said. All right, Julie. Well, Warm Bodies is a story about discovery. It's a story about figuring out just what being alive really means. A lot of people, yeah, sure, we all die, but a lot of us are already dead before we ever get there. Uh, and I think it's one of those stories that it's entertaining, it's fun, it's it's a zombie book. It's not supposed to uh, make your head hurt, but it really does leave you with uh, feelings of hope. Somebody understands what you're feeling when you're in a rut and you don't know if it's really worth it to get up and go to work on Monday morning. And this story is all about that and, and why you should why you need to still get up and go, and why you need to turn yourself back on and be alive, even if you aren't quite sure it's really great to be alive. Uh, it's a story that, it's very simple, it's not a complicated story, um, and it's written in a way that you can read it in little bits, because part of our issue with reading is finding the time to do it, and this is a great book you can pick up and put down, and uh, you don't lose the thread of what's going on. So that's why you should read Warm Body. Thank you very much. Tim. So I think the concept of When Pride Still Mattered is, is a daunting book because it's about six and a half times as thick as everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you should vote for this. Because when you... Download it to your iPod, it's actually 1,961 pages, and on your Kindle, it's over 4,000. So if that's not intimidating, I don't know what is. But the reason that I actually think this book is of importance is because one of the things that we hear all the time in Fort McMurray is this concept of pride. Whether it's pride to live here or taking pride at the Tim Horton slide or, or being proud of your region. And the irony with it was, was Part of the reason that I think this book relates to Fort McMurray was I was traveling. I was sitting on an airplane flying out of Fort McMurray to Edmonton. The guy next to me sat down and he said, hey, aren't you glad to be getting out of here? I go, no, not really. Are you? 
And just after I had this exchange of why I actually loved living in Fort McMurray with him, I read this part where the starting center, after he'd won three Super Bowl championships for the Green Bay Packers, came in with his agent into Vince Lombardi's office. And he sat down. He said, this is my agent, whatever his name is. Vince Lombardi said, who? He said, this is my agent. He's going to negotiate my contract. He said, oh, good, one moment. He walked out and stood out in the hallway for a few minutes. They described this scene as just perfect, right? And he comes back in and he says, let's start over. He says, well, this is my agent, so-and-so, and he's here to negotiate my contract. He says, fantastic. You'll be negotiating with the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. You just got traded. And the part that I loved about it was, as I was sitting on this plane, I wish I could have traded the guy sitting in 5E to Grand Prairie. And it comes back to that concept of being proud of who you are and what you do and that idea of take your lunch bags to work every day and do everything you can. And so the timing was exceptional. And I think whether, whether or not people want to read this giant book, ultimately just asking the question of does pride still matter is something that all of us in Wood Buffalo can take away from this. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Jump on Twitter. I think there's a few people we'd like to trade to uh, Grand Prairie. <laughs> okay. So, how are you guys feeling? Pretty good, eh? Good. So now the power lies in your guys' hands. You guys are going to vote for what the book is for Fort McMurray to read for 2013. Um, so everyone has ballots uh, that they had on their, on their chairs. Um, get you guys to fill those out. Uh, when you're done filling them out, raise your hand or see one of the lovely volunteers. They'll be able to uh, uh, collect it for you. I think, Camila, we're going to take like a 10-minute break and then come back with the winners. Okay, 25-minute break. Okay, that works too. We got refreshments. We got snacks. So in about uh, 20, 25 minutes, we'll come back and find out who the winner is uh, for Fort McMurray Reads. Thanks, guys. Hi, everybody. Did you all enjoy your food? Mm -hmm. Me too. Clap for the food. Round of applause for the delicious food. Okay, so my name's Camilla, and I'm the co-op student for the summer, um, and I got to organize this event. Thank you for coming. I think it's been a lot of fun. Um, on behalf of the library, I'd like to thank our fantastic moderator, Todd C. Um, this said Tito, but... <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't get a thank you. Um, as well as our wonderful panelists, Julie. I was going to say thank you. <laughs> thank you. They're all Julie. Julie, Verna, Steve, Nolan, and Tim. Thank you. Uh, it was great working with all of you, and you've all convinced me to read your book. So, um, I'd also like to thank everyone here for coming. Um, it wouldn't be the same without you guys. And now I'm going to uh, pass over the mic to Totsky to announce the winner. Okay, so just to prolong this a bit more, a uh, big round of applause for the former Public Library. Uh, everyone, good job. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'm trying to make them sweat a bit more, so if anyone wants to share a story, <coughs> something they read. Um, okay, before I announce the winner, though, seriously, uh, we were all chatting in the back uh, before the show started, and I kind of just wanted to share the story how it was really cool. 
uh, interacting with the authors of some of the books. Um, I know uh, Julie actually tweeted uh, with uh, Isaac in regards to Warm Bodies, uh, and he actually knows that this is happening tonight, and he was very excited for it. And as she was telling us this story, uh, Averna actually said it, it's weird, the contrast, because the author of her book is 75 years old and didn't have email. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure he knows it's happening, and I'm sure he's very proud. Okay, so without further ado... The winner of Fort McMurray Reads 2013. Also, uh, there's a podcast <laughs> that I do. Uh, YMMPodcast.com. Check it out uh, every Tuesday. Um, so the winner of Fort McMurray Reads 2013 is Late Nights on Air by Elizabeth Hay. <laughs> Successfully defended by Steve Reeve. And a very, very close second uh, goes to Warm Bodies as well. So Excellent. So, like I said, thank you uh, very much, everyone, for attending. Thank you, panelists. Thank you to all the organizers, all the volunteers, everyone involved tonight. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to close this out uh, a little special. I hope you guys don't mind. So you guys will be able to kick in. Steve and Nolan know how this works. So for this year's edition of Fort McMurray Reads, I'm Todsky. I'm Steve. I'm Nolan. I'm Verna. I'm Julie. I'm Tim. We'll see you next set. <laughs> YMM Podcast is a T-Man Entertainment production in association with Hyperphotonic Media. Find us at hyperphotonicmedia.com. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Thank you.